Okay, so our sermon text this morning is Acts 28, verses 23 through 31. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear what their ear, with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who would come to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Please remain standing with me as we read God's, as we pray for the service. Father, thank you so much for giving us these rich words and Paul's and just to see his boldness in witnessing. Please be with Kyle as he is preaching and please be with us as we are hearing. We are the Gentiles that this passage is talking about. Isaiah prophesied that the message would go to the Gentiles. We are the fulfillment of that and help us to have those ears that hear and understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. <clears throat> so good to see everyone this morning. Um, such a delight always to gather with God's people and to, to worship him through his word, uh, to remember that what he has done for us and that he is coming back for us as well. Amen. And it's so um, great to see so many people here and, and some guests. We just hope that you can stick around a little bit after church and just mingle and um, enjoy the company and have some uh, some treats and whatnot. So um, God bless you. Our, our uh, worship leader is on a cruise right now. How dare he? Um, and uh, he'll be gone next week, actually, too. He's about a week and a half on a cruise, so we'll miss him. Just pray for him. And thanks to the uh, the rest of our worship band for leading worship for us this morning. He did a really wonderful job, and um, it was just uh, really ex encouraging. Can't wait for next week as well, just to go over um, where God's brought us and where we hope to to, to, to see the next year go, and uh, just some exciting news and different ideas that we're just uh, really anxious to share with you, so I hope that you can all be there, and you don't have to be, it's for anyone who wants to come, so just come enjoy the time with us, and, and uh, we would just love to have your company. If this is your first day here too, this is your first time at, at Refuge, and um, it's so good to see you, <laughs> um, if this is your first time at Refuge, um, you, you're getting the very last sermon um, in our sermon series on the book of Acts. Um, we've been in it for about a year, so if you're totally confused, I apologize, and you should be able to follow it, but, <laughs> but this has been an exciting time for us. For the whole, the past year, for the whole of this past year, we've been going through, in the New Testament, there's a book called Acts, and we've been going through it, and this is our very last sermon on the book of Acts, so in a couple of weeks we'll introduce a, a new sermon series, but it's been exciting going through this week with you, and I hope that it's encouraged your faith and really deepened your love for Christ and the church, and inspire just a greater commitment to your mission because that's really what acts is about it's about the mission of christ the gospel of christ going to the ends of the earth unhindered and that's actually the title 
of our service this, of our sermon this morning unhindered because the gospel knows no chains it can't be stopped it's the immovable force um, that is God's word and God's hope for mankind um, God's hope for our lives and our sinful separation from him um, the gospel cannot be stopped and that's that's the message of Acts which so is just so excited to have gone through it our text in Acts 28 um, brings us to a place where Paul's finally experiencing some reprieve from his trials. And if you remember, you know, for the past six chapters, Paul's in and out of one harrowing situation after another. It's actually many um, commentators call the last six chapters of Acts the trials of Paul because he's getting beaten up, arrested, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. It's just a tough time for him in his life. And, but he's finally getting some reprieve from his, child, from his trials Paul leaves Malta, that's the, isle, the island he gets shipwrecked on, and he arrives in Rome, finally. Um, that was his destination. The Apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome to bring the gospel to Rome. Paul, when he arrives, is greeted, is, he's greeted by brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm just filling in some of the context for you because some of the chapter that, in the chapter we skip some of the story just so that you understand where, we're, uh, where we began in our reading of the text. So Paul's greeted by some brothers in Christ, and he stays under house arrest. If you recall, he was arrested. Um, he, was, he pleaded for Rome because he didn't feel like he would get a fair trial in Jerusalem. So they send him to Rome. Also, God had promised that he would bring the gospel to Rome. Pro possibly he didn't expect, though, that he would be bringing the gospel to Rome in chains as a prisoner. But anyway, he's here now, finally in Rome. And after a few days of rest... Paul calls the local Jewish leaders, this was kind of typical when he showed up in a town, but he calls the local Jewish leaders to basically to defend his, his innocence. Remember, he's in chains. He's arrested. So he's explaining his story to them in the first part of chapter 28. Um, he's defending his innocence, but he's also explaining the reason why he was arrested was because of the hope of Israel, what is what he called it. So this seemed basically acceptable to the Jewish leaders. Finally, they, he doesn't get beaten up for this. Um, it seems acceptable to them, and basically he invites them to his house, and in great numbers, all these people start visiting Paul to hear what he thinks is the hope of Israel. So it's acceptable to them, and Paul basically begins the gospel with our text, and that's where we begin. Almost any commentary that you're going to read, a commentary, if you don't know, is basically, it explains passages of scripture that might be confusing. So any commentary that you might read on the book of Acts in general addresses an observation that you might make if you've read through the book of Acts. A question that you might have even just hearing these sermon series, this sermon series. Paul's shipbound for Rome, under arrest, on trial, awaiting a hearing with the most powerful man on earth at the time, Nero, who was the Roman emperor. We sort of expect the tension to be resolved, the story to be completed. What happens to Paul? What's his fate? But there's not a whisper about it. We don't learn anything of this. It just ends with, Paul preached with all boldness, without hindrance. But, and, and nothing else, silence. We don't hear how his life ends. Now we know from tradition that Paul was released two years later after his stay in Rome. He continues his ministry for some time, basically years later arrested again, and then finally he was executed as a martyr by the same emperor Nero. But Luke doesn't tell us anything about this at all. Now, why do you think that might be? Some interesting, some interesting ideas have been presented, but I think that the best one is that because the book of Acts is not about Paul. The book of Acts is about the gospel. 
It's not about Paul. It's about the gospel. The very last line in Acts reads this. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, isn't that interesting? Because at the very beginning of the book of Acts, we learn that the mission that Jesus puts the church on is to send the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Remember Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And at the very end of the book of Acts, we basically see mission accomplished because Paul is now at the ends of the earth proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. And friends, this is the story of Acts. This is the story of the early church. And it should be, two millennia later, the story of our church, continuing the gospel proclamation with all boldness and without hindrance. Because we still hold that glorious message, the saving message of Jesus Christ in our hands. And the call today is still the same as it was then, to bring it to the ends of the earth. The gospel is powerful. It boldly proceeds unhindered. It's the creed of Christendom. It's the immovable object of human history. It does what it sets out to do. And there is our boldness in our proclaiming it. If we're to be a vital and faithful and honorable New Testament church, we're going to do the same. Claim with all boldness and without hindrance the gospel of Jesus Christ. To live our lives in such a way as that that's our sole mission. To con- and, and we see this in our text very clear that there are three non-negotiable negotiable, sovereign commands in this mission. To convince to complete, and to continue. And this will be the the three main points of our sermon today. One non-negotiable quality built into the Christian mission is that we must all, as Christians, intentionally labor to convince those around us of the core message of the gospel. That's not to beat them up over, over their heads with the core message of the gospel or be jerks to them, but labor to convince them. Now, Christianity is very personal and private, and anyone who is a Christian here will know that. It's something very intimate and very close to your heart. It's life-giving to the soul. How many people know this if you're a Christian? It's life-giving to the soul, isn't it? It provides hope in the midst of chaos, when life is just out of control and the waves of the sea are just kind of crashing on your little ship. The gospel is the ballast that kind of holds, holds your ship up and holds it together. It brings us affection and joy and the deepest parts of our hearts, doesn't it? That's what Christianity does for us. So while Christianity is very personal, it's very private, very intimate, it's not only personal, and it's not only private, is it? You can't walk away from reading the Bible and think that, that Jesus rescues us and just says, okay, now don't tell anyone about this. It's a secret. We're secret. You're my secret boyfriend, God. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Paul recognized that the gospel was brought to him so that he might bring it to others, so that others would know the extravagant love of Christ, of God in Christ. That, That there is a maker, a creator, that you were made for him and for his pleasure. That your greatest satisfaction is found not in becoming successful or married, or whatever it is, fill in the blank. It's your greatest joy and happiness and satisfaction is found in reconciling your relationship with your God in heaven. Amen? Amen. So here's what he's convincing these people of, and he does it tirelessly. That's kind of the first way that we see Paul convincing, laboring. What does it say? 
morning and evening, I was laboring to convince them that Jesus was the Christ. Morning and evening, just laborious, hour to hour to hour, continuing on trying to convince people that Jesus was their Savior. He didn't see it as interfering with me time, right, or a man cave, or, you know, I got the last episode of Game of Thrones to watch, you know, like, so this is just kind of incon... No, he, he had a greater vision for his life. Some, a greater passion was driving him. Now, that's not to say that we, we need to relax, too, so don't feel judged if, you know, you watch TV. It's okay. I watch it sometimes. I watched the game last night. Go Pats, right? But it's, and that's okay. But, but, is, but is, is, do I tip people around me with my time? You know, or do I labor? Do I see my life as lived for them and, and the mission that God's put me on? You see? There's something more important driving the Apostle Paul <laughs> that should drive us than, than our own relaxation therapy. And because of this, he gained their hearing. He saw, they saw him living his life tirelessly for them. And at the very least, it was a convincing argument that what he was talking about was important, right? Because anyone who had spent this much time and this much effort going after a person with this message, it must be at least to him important. So let's listen to him. So he gains a hearing, and that's how he starts to convince them. But secondly, he convinces them with persuasive explanation. He doesn't just say to them, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, because I just want to. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> that's, that's nothing. The Bible, the Bible makes, never makes the claim that we should come to Jesus Christ without reason. Right? Void of any thought or any consideration of what is true or false. So he's, that's the language being used here. He's persuading them that this isn't just a good idea or wishful thinking, but this is true. This is real. And that's what Paul's quest is here. Now, there are many ways to do this. He does one way. Now, this isn't a message of apologetics, which means like persuading people in different ways why Christianity is true or real. There, there are a few different ways that, that, that apologists have done this. So he's using one of them here. So if you feel like you haven't your, had your questions answered today, don't think that this is the only place that people go to explain the rationality of the Christian faith. But this is where Paul goes. We'll see it in a moment. He is convincing them with persuasive explanation that the historical Jesus, that the person of Jesus Christ, that no one could deny actually lived and died and was, and was crucified, he was arguing that this Jesus is the fulfillment, the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of a promise made in the Old Testament that Yahweh, God's kingdom, would come. That the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. That the Old Testament is unabashed, the theme of it, is, of Scripture, unabashedly, is, says that all things visible and invisible are under the sovereign rule of God because he created all things. That means basically that all things in this created universe, visible and invisible, are his possession. That's what Scripture teaches. That he created all things for himself, for his glory, and for your pleasure, by the way. You say, wow, this is like authority, sovereign, Lord. I don't really like this language. I want to be my own me. I want to be my own Lord. But do, do, do you know that your greatest satisfaction is found not in resisting this, but coming under it? Because he's a good God. He's a good dad. He's a good father. He's, he's even sent his son to rescue us from our own rebellion to reconcile us to him. So this is the unabashed theme of scripture, that he created all things for himself for his glory. And though we rebelled against him, 
and though Satan resists the will of God, that he still decrees in eternity past to slay his son for us, to rescue us, to bring back the kingdom that was lost in Adam. You see, because Adam wasn't supposed to sin. He was supposed to have lots of kids, populate the earth, and worship God and rule over his creation. But he didn't do that. He rebelled against God. So the kingdom isn't in trouble, though, because God had a redemptive plan to send Jesus Christ so that he could win back humanity, right, and populate his kingdom. And he did this by the purifying death of Jesus. You see, this is Paul's argument. Any repentant sinner is grafted back in, rescued, forgiven of their sin, and they are now part of the kingdom family that God has built through his son. Jesus Christ not only rescued a people, but he is the king coming to take back the earth and rule over it. See? There's a promise that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, will return victoriously and bring God's kingdom once and for all finally on this earth. And we've talked about this a little bit before. And what does that look like? What does that kingdom rule look like? Well, there is no more death. There is no more tears. The child will put his hands in the asp den and not be harmed. The lion will lie with the lamb. Men will, will, will bang their war, weapons of warfare into plowshares. You see, unprecedented times of peace, the way it was supposed to be. Paul himself, didn't he plead to God? You remember this passage in Ephesians 1? He says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened so that you might know what is the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? You have an inheritance when you put your faith in Christ. An inheritance from the creator of all things. What are the riches of the inheritance, excuse me, um, uh, of his people? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. See, so who is Jesus? Jesus is the risen one, seated at the right hand of God. And it says, Ephesians 1 says, far above all rule and authority, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every name, where he sits at his right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And... God placed all things under his feet and appointed him as head over all things, even the church. See, who, who is Jesus to Paul? He's the king. He's the promised king of the, of the Old Testament. He has come, won the church, and won creation through his redemption and through his resurrection assures that he will re- return once to rule over all of it. You see, this is what Paul is arguing with the Jews. He was saying everything that you believe in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. It's, Jesus. it's all about Jesus Christ. It all points to him. He's the fulfillment of the promise of God's coming kingdom. And this is what Paul labored to explain to them. And what was his resource? Well, the, well it tells us right in our text. The law and the prophets. What, what that means, basically, is the whole of the Old Testament. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, read the Old Testament scriptures and you'll find that every promise about the coming king and kingdom is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what his argument is. Not simply Paul's experience, what he hopes might be, or wishful thinking. He has the resurrection as proof that the Old Testament is true. 
And you say, Here, friend, that, that is one of the most convincing and compelling arguments if you're a skeptic in Christianity, is what do you do with the resurrection of Christ? Did he rise from the dead? Because if he did, that means he is who he said he was. That he is, and, and it also proves that the Bible is true. That it's not just a nice idea that kind of like they, that, that, you know, in the third millennia a bunch of Jews kind of came up with and it's nice and they wrote the Psalms and isn't this nice? No, it proves that it's true. The resurrection of Christ, the resurrection was promised in the Old Testament. Everything that happened um, was fulfilled in him. So by the coming, so, so isn't this incredible? Paul didn't just convince them with his own experience or his own wishful thinking. He testified of the resurrection of Christ that he was more than a carpenter and more than just some enlightened sage, that he was Lord. But by the coming of Christ, this is all in Acts, by the way. Over and over again, Acts quotes the Old Testament to show them who Jesus was. By the coming of Christ, the Spirit had been poured out on all kinds of people. In Joel chapter 2, that was promised. And it happened in Acts chapter 2. Jesus is the King installed on Mount Zion, the only Son begotten of the Father, in Psalm chapter 2. He's saying, you know that passage, friend, in, in, your, in your Old Testament? That's Jesus. He was the one that wouldn't see decay or death in Psalm chapter 16. In other words, he would be resurrected from the dead. He is the one to whom the Lord says, sit at my right hands until I make your enemies a, a footstool for your feet. Psalm chapter 110. The great prophet, you, you guys all know Moses, right? You know, like even if the most unchurched, unchristian person at least knows who Moses is. I mean, he's the guy who in the movie parted the Red Sea. This is what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Imagine this, because Paul is telling his hearers this right now. You must listen to him. You must, that means, friends, that we must listen to Christ. All of us. That was not just for Paul's audience. That's for all of us. The prophet has come. He has spoken. His name is Jesus Christ. And we must listen to him. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command. Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah spoke of Christ when he said, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Isaiah articulates in gruesome detail the, the crucifixion of Christ, the suffering servant of Christ. You see what Paul's doing here? Is he is explaining to them with their scriptures that Jesus is all of this. That he's the suffering servant, he's the promised king, he's the prophet that Moses talked about. This is what Paul labored in day and night with these people, showing them from their own scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. He argued persuasively that everything promised in the Old Testament is fulfilled by Christ. He's more than a carpenter. He's more than a leader. He's more than a Jewish scholar, and he's more than a holy man. And friend, if we're here, here today, those words need to ring in our ears. He's more just than some enlightened sage or some smart fella, some philosopher or some very kind of like morally high type of person. He is the promised seed of Eve that would crush the head of Satan, Genesis chapter 3. He's more than 
what we make him out to be. He's the only begotten son of God, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, became that so that he could die for our sins and, shed, and, t- and separate them from us forever and ever. A goat couldn't do that. That's what Hebrews is all about. Lambs couldn't do that, and you can't do that. Your blood can't shed enough. Your body can't shed enough blood. The only sacrifice adequate to satisfy God's wrath towards our sin is the blood of Jesus Christ, and he spilt it because he loved you. He's the coming Savior who would suffer and die, the returning, conquering King. Friend, who is Jesus to you? Why might we even be here today, this morning? Can we see that our greatest fulfillment, our greatest joy, our greatest life, our greatest identity isn't found in scorning this king or just kind of thinking kindly of him every now and then, but it's it's found by coming under him, under his sovereign authority, under his compassionate lordship, that we are his, we belong to him. So we're not here to primarily just kind of have companionship or help if we're in trouble or relief and suffering. The king promises all of those things for us, by the way. But that's not why we're primarily here. We're here to give ourselves back to him. My body is not my own, but I have been bought with a price. To acknowledge that we are his. Galatians chapter 3 Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Scriptures prophesied. What what are Gentiles? Gentiles are just all the nations. That anyone who would come to Christ by faith, no matter what nationality you are, that's all that means. That God foresaw that that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel, and he announced this to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed among the, um, um, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Would you, the reason I bring that up is would you trust in that Jesus is not just a historical figure, but the promised Messiah, the one who has come to be king of all and to rescue you? Would you finally, once and for all, put faith in that and follow Christ? Rely on faith in, in this gracious provision. This is not a hindrance. This is not a a noose. It is not a weight on our necks. This is freedom. And anyone who knows Jesus Christ knows that. You say, well, yeah, but you can't do X, Y, and Z anymore. Yeah, but you don't get it. Because those things are like, they they weren't that fun. (laughs) They weren't. They didn't give us much. Jesus gives us so much more. As a matter of fact, not only were they not that fun, but you start to realize, like, wow, that's that's what's been the shackle on my neck. Rely on faith in the salvation God provides through the death of Christ. That's your forgiveness. That's your righteousness. That's your self-esteem. That's your affirmation and approval. And that's your most blessed condition. It is. We must take seriously that command of Christ, church, to tirelessly persuade people of this. That's what we're doing. That there is a king and that king has come. And let's look at also number two, completes. The second order, the second command as Christ followers in our mission is to complete the task of proclamation. This is in verses 24 through 28. After Paul had labored to persuade his hearers, the crowd basically gets split into two, right? Some were convinced, you remember this in our text, some were convinced, 
others refused to believe. Some were convinced, others were refused, uh, others refused to believe. Now, I just, I just hope that we can just take a moment right now to consider the profound nature of that statement. Some were convinced, but others refused to believe. There seemed to have been a deliberate and intentional refusal to trust Christ. An obstinate rebellion. It was no longer, by the way, a matter of doubt, or they lacked certain amounts of information. They had all the information that they needed, all the good reasons that they needed, all their doubts were answered. All that was necessary to persuade them was provided, yet their hearts were hard and stubborn, and they wouldn't budge. They wouldn't accept what was the obvious conclusion about Jesus Christ. And friend, this morning, that could be you. You could have adequate reasons, good reasons, compelling reasons that Jesus Christ is Lord, but you refuse. And we see this in Revelation chapter 16, these, these sad and sorry words. It says that they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God. You see, they're acknowledging God's prayer. They're not curious if he's real. They know he's real. They're mad at him. They cursed the name of God and they refused to repent and glorify him. People gnawed, and this is still in Psalm 16, uh, Revelation 16, and verse 10 and 11. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. They didn't see what they had done as the sole cause of the pains and the sores. You see? They were blaming God for them. And isn't that so common? This is all your fault, God, and how dare you, and I'll never come to you. And You remember that even in our text, what it said, if they simply would come to me, I would heal them. I would heal them. The hard and fallen heart of man will take anything but Christ. You see that? That's what we learn from Revelation 16 and other places. The hard and fallen heart of man will take anything but Jesus. We prefer our agony, we prefer our pain, we prefer our sufferings, we prefer our plagues, we prefer our sores. Because in exchange, we get to be sovereign sinners. We don't have to repent of what we have done. See? We get to be lords of our lives and continue on with our own prescribed answer for life independent of the unconditional the irony and this is so great hear this independent of the unconditional loving rule of our maker the fallen heart despises christ and wants nothing to do with god in heaven we want to be independent and free from his love <laughs> baffling the great irony is that all the misery that we heap up on ourselves would in a moment collapse at the puff of his breath. If we would simply call on him. This God, he pushes and he prowls and he snorts 
and he scowls at the misery on your back. And he's waiting for you to call on him because in a moment he would blow it away. All of this, these burdens that, we, that are on us deservedly would be carried away and re- relieved from us if we would simply acknowledge that we are wretched sinners but, and he is holy and pure and righteous but also compassionate and gracious and is eager to rescue us. And how great would that rescue be? Listen to these words in Psalm 18. I have been reading this over and over again for the past month and I can't stop reading it because it's just so amazing. In my distress, th- this is what, w- if, if you would simply open your eyes and not keep them shut like our passage envisions, right? If we open our eyes and, ke- and not keep them shut, what would happen? In my, we would call out to the Lord. In my distress, it says, I call to the Lord. I cry to my God for help. From his temple, what happens from his temple? He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. Watch what happens. God is ticked because something's crushing people he loves. God's mad. The earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. He's after you to rescue you, to save you. If you'd simply call on him, this is what God would do for you. He parted the heavens. He came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, my own sin, from my foes who were too strong for me. He brought me to a spacious place and rescued me because he delighted in me. Wow. Delights in you. This could be your story, friend. Or you might refuse to believe. Wouldn't you rather have that be your story? That hero, that strong, mighty, conqueror, savior, lover, gracious father, wouldn't you rather have that than beer night? Isn't it better than lots of women? It's better. Oh, this could be your story, but you could refuse to believe. The gospel might be in hearing distance. And friend, if you're here, it's in hearing distance. It's going to your ears right now. And you can shut your eyes and close your ears, or you can turn to Christ in repentant faith. See, that's what you can do. But the gospel might be in hearing distance. You might not ever really get it. You could see the Lord Christ on the horizon, but still refuse him. Your heart might be calloused. You consequently squeeze your eyes shut tight. Oh, but relents. Open for a squint. Let a little light shine into your eye. And watch what he does. And perhaps you might see, you might hear and understand in your heart the immeasurable love of God in Christ and be healed. Wow. 
there's a, a Disney movie called Tangled. Have you ever seen it? If you have kids, you will. <laughs> there's a beautiful little song at the end. And every time I hear this, this is lame and cheesy, and some, some of you might have seen me already put this up there on, online. <laughs> this is wicked cheesy. It's about two people falling in love. But I can't help but think of Jesus Christ when I read the words of this. It says, all those days watching from the windows, all those years outside looking in, all that time never even knowing just how blind I'd been. I don't know how this is about a relationship between a guy and a guy. I've never felt that <laughs> about any girl. And I love my wife, by the way. <laughs> now I'm here blinking in the starlight. Now I'm here suddenly I see. Standing here, it's all so clear. I'm where I'm meant to be. And then there's another line. All those days chasing down a daydream, like all those you know, foolish things we pursue, right? All those years living in a blur, what's going on? All that time never really seeing things the way they were. At last I see the light and it's like the fog is lifted. At last I see the light and it's like the sky is new. And it's warm and real and bright and the world has somehow shifted. All at once, everything looks different. Now that I see you. Isn't that incredible? If you've come to Christ, you know that. You know everything. When you come to Christ, everything's different. Your work, food, relationships. I was in a fog before. I didn't see. I was blind. Now I get it. Friend, if you don't know Christ, this is what will do for you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, Hebrews says. Because the time's going to come. When the message won't be spoken anymore, the message will move on to the next person. You don't know that you'll hear it again. You don't know that tomorrow the gospel will come to your ears again. So don't squander this moment. Come to Christ and believe in him. Trust in him. Turn from your sin. It's not worth it. It crushes you. It, it offends the character of God. And it separates from you. And he's better than all of it. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. They'll listen. See? Is he who he's talking to? He's talking to the hard-hearted, deaf-eared, blind-eyed audience. He's saying, the gospel's going to go to someone else and they'll listen. So seize your opportunity. Believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And that's the completion of the mission that we're on to complete the task of actually proclaiming the gospel to people whether they believe it or not. Because God's got listeners prepared. Amen? Amen. Finally continue, verses 30 through 31. These are the last words of Luke, Dr. Luke, as he closes the book of Acts. And he doesn't end, like we noted, with the outcome of Paul's trial or his interactions with Nero. It simply says that God, the gospel was proclaimed with boldness and without hindrance. Because Acts is not about Paul. It's about the gospel's power to continue through the proclamation of God's people. It continues. Acts makes clear that you can persecute gospel bearers. You can chain them up. You can imprison them. And you can even kill them. But you cannot imprison the gospel. You cannot shackle up the gospel. You cannot imprison the gospel. Jesus promised 
that the gates of hell itself would not prosper or conquer the gospel. Paul himself, remember this, right? What happened to him? He's arrested in Jerusalem. He's endured mock trials, threatened to death, nearly drowned at sea, bitten by a poisonous snake. Why is this all all in this? So much lengthy description. God says, Paul, I'm bringing bringing you to Rome. And then you have like six chapters of all this awful stuff happening to to Paul, and he finally ends up in Rome. It's to show us that the gospel cannot be stopped, no matter what Satan throws at it. It cannot be stopped. And consider this, how these demonic forces tried to stop Paul, and also throughout, throughout the, the, the redemption story in Scripture. You remember this? They tried to, dr- to, to, uh, to um, drown Moses, to kill Moses. But instead, his faithful, God faithfully preserved his life to rescue Israel. They, try, they tried to kill the Jews um, through Haman, you remember in the book of Esther, to destroy the Christ through Herod's massacre. All, all of this opposition that comes from the chief opposer of Christ, Satan himself, even he cannot stop the gospel. It gives us hope, doesn't it, in our continuing. Because in spite of the trial, we ask, why is this happening? We wonder. It doesn't stop the gospel. Because the gospel cannot be stopped. God's will and his saving purpose cannot be stopped. The gospel cannot, and there's our power for boldness. The gospel is unhindered, friend. And I hope that you embrace it as your mission as Christians. And if you don't know Christ, to accept it for the first time tonight, that Christ is your Lord and Savior. I want to conclude this sermon and the series, basically this whole series, with the inspiring words of John Stott when he wrote this. Now the next generation must step into Paul's shoes and continue to work. The Acts ends with a prospect of a mission radiating from Rome to the nations. Paul's preaching with boldness and without hindrance symbolizes a wide-open door through which we, in our day, must pass. Amen? The Acts of the Apostles have long ago finished but the acts of the followers of Jesus will continue until the end of the world, and their words will spread to the ends of the earth. There it is. The, wo- the wide open door of mission. The unhindered gospel. Christian friend, there it is. There's our orders. To convince, to complete, and to continue the proclamation of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, that 2,000 years later, your promise to rescue the, the Gentiles, all nations, reaches us down the corridor of time and awakens our blind eyes. And God, I ask you, Lord, by your sovereign power, this morning, that you would awaken some. That if the gospel is reaching your ears and your eyes, and you're finally once and for all seeing the beauty of Christ, that he has rescued in his death and resurrection sinners like us, separated from you, that he is the promised Savior and King that we're to be wed to, intimately united to as his people. God, if there's people seeing this, that the, uh, that the light is going through their, 
squinted eyes that they would trust in Christ that they would cry out to you in the silence of their own heart even right now yes I am a sinner and Jesus is my Savior and if your heart has turned to trust in that there is no magic prayer or magic aisle that to walk or kind of anything kind of supernatural or that you must do it's just a simple change of heart an awakening of faith you are in Christ friend the Bible instructs one simple thing proclaim that through baptism if that's you the Lord is awakening awakening you um, I urge you to speak with me so that we can proclaim your new faith in Christ through baptism God we love you we thank you so much for this time we thank you for the, the Lord's Supper as we uh, are about to take it. God, we thank you um, for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.